Welcome to Being in Practice. I'm Erin Davis. I use they, them pronouns. I'm a therapist. I'm Danny Dwyer-Willingham. I use they, she pronouns, and I'm a quantum somatic coach. And we're a couple of queer, neurodivergent, multi-passionates here to get curious and unpack elements of collective and individual experiences through our intuitive, trauma-informed lenses. We're both practitioners and people in our own constant discovery, here to provide education, entertainment, and exploration on the practice of being as messy and as multidimensional as it can be. Let's Let's be in practice practice together. Welcome back to Being in Practice. I'm Erin Davis. I use they, them pronouns. I'm Danny. I use they, she pronouns. And it's just us today. It's just us. We've had so many interviews. We have. So many. So many. We are rounding out season one, y'all. We're getting close. This is the penultimate episode, which means that it's the second to last. Wow. Okay. (laughs) That's a fancy word. I like it. Yeah, it is. And we are diving into a topic that Erin and I have been literally looking forward to talking about since the beginning. I've probably been talking about this throughout our episodes. I think I've said what I'm going to say today a million times. (laughs) But we just had religion. Wait, no. We had religion a couple of episodes. And then identity was last week's episode. We record out of order, so you know. Um, But yeah, identity, that was a great one. And now we're talking about Da, 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 da. grief grief my favorite feeling as you've probably heard me say <laughs> at least a million times already and grief we were kind of debriefing before recording and I feel like grief is such a collective experience and also such an individual and such a personal experience it's something that everyone deals with regardless of the source of the grief mm-hmm. it is something that I think is a can be a gateway to really beautiful connection with ourselves, with our purpose, which that's a big word, but also I feel like it is, as as we've talked about, and we will unpack all of this, grief is a part of a spectrum of existence and of emotions that when we are able to thoroughly and caringly process grief, we also have access to so many other ranges of experience and emotions like joy and like capacity and all of these things that we are going to talk about today. Definitely. I think it just is such an important thing for people to be validated in because everyone has grief. Most of us are not, are not even taught how to process grief in ways that are giving honor to the actual experience that is grief Mm -hmm. and that can be grief. So Mm -hmm. We're going to dive into so many things. Yeah, I think a lot of times it is about, yeah, how, the how Mm -hmm. of how to grieve. What does that look like? What does that mean? Yeah. Um, And especially in a society, I think, and we were talking about this a minute ago, but in a society where emotions are devalued, emotionality is devalued or judged or whatever, seen as weakness, all the things, Mm -hmm. um, grief can be really hard to know how to let oneself feel at all. Mm-hmm. But I also think that certain things that we might grieve, we might judge as not being grievable. Oh, so yeah. I think there's also the aspect of how do I do it? And maybe even sometimes a question of am I allowed to, whether that's a conscious question or not. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get, yeah, I have other thoughts. I think that's where the validation can come in too, is because 
as again, we're gonna like we talked about it before recording. (laughs) But I think that grief comes from so many different types of experiences. And it can come, Mm -hmm. of course, I think from the obvious ones, which are like loss of a loved one, loss of, you know, a a life circumstance like divorce Mm -hmm. or job, job loss or whatever. And Mm -hmm. also in every, I just wrote a thing about this in every transition, there is loss, even Mm in, in transitions or in changes or in circumstances that are perceived as beneficial or good or celebratory. Absolutely. Like Mm -hmm. moving, moving somewhere new, getting married, having a child, becoming queer, graduating, like Mm -hmm. in everything that, again, I think as a society, we're told like, oh, those are good things. Those are like meant to be felt in a certain way. My experience has been so contrary to that, where all of the things that I have all of the steps that I have taken to move closer into alignment in my life have come with the loss of the life that I thought that I would have. And that's a really beautiful way to put it. That grief Mm -hmm. is so real and so heavy and hits me like a truck when it comes. Yes. Okay. Yes. (laughs) That is something I always say to my clients. Well, it's on this topic that when, um, I work with, you know, I work, have worked with lots of clients, lots of times there's relationship dynamics we're talking about, mm-hmm. even though I'm not, a, you know, I don't only see couples. And when breakups occur, um, I, I'm often coaching and helping people understand that there's two, two aspects of things that they're grieving. They're grieving the loss of the person in their life, in that capacity at least. But we also have a secret second thing that we, that we, typically don't know we're grieving or can grieve or should grieve, which is the loss of the future we had planned with Absolutely. that person. And then that is another, because we all project into the future, mm-hmm. whether we're single or partnered, we have a projection into the future of what our, we'd like our life to be like. And when we Oof. put a person into that picture and that person goes away, the future goes away a lot of times. The Not that we don't have our one. own things yes. or what going on or other separate dreams, but it is a loss. And I always, always, and most people are surprised to hear that Mm -hmm. when I talk about it, but it does click with everyone I've said it to. I think I want to highlight just a few quick examples before we get into talking about the five stages of grief, which is going to lead us on a whole other path. But some, some things that are coming to my mind that I think would resonate with listeners is Mm -hmm. again, these things aren't typically thought of as, you know, grief moments, but For me, like I had a child and had a lot of birthing complications and I had always thought again, this, this was, this was not my authentic desire, but I had been very conditioned to have Mm -hmm. more than one child. Mm. And when I had a child and realized that like my body could not handle having another one, nor did I have any desire to have more than one child, I grieved the loss of the family quote unquote, that I thought that I was going to have with like multiple kids. I grieved that my child wasn't going to have a sibling. Mm -hmm. I grieved that that whole like projected reality had to come apart and had to be felt. And it wasn't like, oh, I'm just gonna not do this anymore. Like I had real sadness, even though it was a great decision for myself and for my kid and for my family in general. 
I had to feel those feelings. Mm-hmm. I think other ones that, I mean, recently in my life, like I just moved and it happened really quickly and it happened for the true betterment of my family and my yeah. whole life. And I was leaving a house that I loved. It caused an entire month to just basically blip off the radar and be full of transition that I did mm-hmm. not anticipate. And I realized and we've talked about this, I was running on adrenaline for like Mm. two weeks because I had to move and I had to do it in a specific timeline. And I had to do it in a way that was supportive for my kid and my dog. And on the other side of that, the grief that came up was so unexpected, Mm. but it was like, as soon as I let myself have a moment of rest, I was absolutely overtaken by sadness. Mm -hmm. And previous versions of me would have said, but this is a good thing. Mm. This move was really beautiful and beneficial. And this version of me was able to have such tender, loving kindness towards Mm. the fact that I needed to be sad and I deserved to let those feelings come through my body. And I cried for three days. And it's a lot of crying. That's actually for me, that's a pretty quick rebound time. The fact that I can go through something like a massive life transition with uh, so much other things happening that I won't get into, mm-hmm. but also it only took me three days You're and then I'm vessel. back and then I'm back on my feet. You're Imagine if we as a society were equipped with the skills and the support I was going to say mm-hmm. when resources. we need to grieve, when we need to feel those feelings and let those move through us in the ways that they truly would be honoring of them so that we are able to get those out of our bodies, out of our emotional experiences and move through them. Imagine the kind of clarity and capacity and connection we could all experience with, uh, with ourselves, with each other. And just, again, if there was, if there was this infrastructure, if there was this framework for feeling grief, which I think is starting, but is not typical, I would say, for most people. But it would be really, really beautiful. I agree. Yeah. No, I think that's a good way of maybe putting your hell or this this version of your hell mm-hmm. of grief in this, you know, with this certain circumstance. Mm. There's a beautiful, I don't know if it's a parable or a real story, but I've talked to clients about this too. I think it's really interesting. Just a man lost something important. Maybe it was his wife. I don't know someone important Hmm. and he decides to go out on a I don't know cliff a beautiful view he goes out into nature and he decides to feel all the feelings that he feels about grief Hmm. until he no longer feels them and then comes back and it's like yeah maybe a day maybe a week but he's just out there feeling all of the grief and when he returns he's done he's Mm. and it sounds a lot like what you just described of like maybe you know maybe there's more grief that will come up for you and like it's not exactly that process but I do think what you're saying resonates with that parable and something I do think is important which is to honor honor the feelings of sadness that come up with any transition Mm -hmm. and I think that is also looping for me back to why grief is my favorite feeling which Mm. I also wanted to talk about a little bit today And I think it's because for me, I know what grief feels like. I know how it typically shows up 
And I think I also really like that because I know how it feels and because I know it comes with life transitions and for many and shows up for many reasons in transitions that I, I really just, I really like that I know where the feelings are coming from. Mm. I feel like a lot of times with my clients, with myself as a person in therapy and just a person that a lot of times we don't get the privilege. I'm going to call it a privilege to know where our feelings come from. Absolutely. And grief for me, the feelings and the experiences that I have in the process of grieving for myself, I just, it's just so refreshing and like freeing and like validating to like be able to feel how I feel and know why I'm feeling that way Mm. and know like it's just like the beautiful version of me feeling my feelings that's unattached to like why the question of why isn't there so now it's not sticky and it's not about me being bad and it's not about shame and it's not about all these other reasons of why I sometimes when I'm experiencing other negative emotions that don't have to do with this topic where I go to is those places, right? Like, oh, I'm feeling anxious. That must mean I suck at something or I'm stupid or whatever the messages are. Mm -hmm. But with grief, I can just be like, I'm feeling it and it doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm not personalizing it. And it's just flowing through me. Mm. And it's just so freeing to know that. And it's, I think how I'd like all of my clients, all of our listeners, like A, yes, to experience grief, but also B, like even for myself to be able to experience all emotions. Mm with that layer of like, this isn't personal, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? I think this is bringing up a few things for me. One, like the non-linear aspect of grief, because I think I describe it as like hitting pockets. So like, Mm -hmm. yes, we can, Mm -hmm. we can feel, and I, I do think there is a huge benefit to building in when we know there's a transition happening, kind of like you just said, Mm -hmm on the other side or through it as best Mm -hmm. you can building in space and time to truly just let yourself feel things, whether that's a bath and you just like, you're like, I'm going to put 30 minutes on the timer. I'm going to take a bath. I'm going to let myself cry into the Epsom salt and the like herbs in here. Or whether it's like, you know what? I actually need to like go camping for a couple of days or, you know, life circumstances, whatever. Like I need to have a phone call with a friend after my kids go to bed and just cry for an hour. Like I need to have a therapy session. I need to go get whatever, whatever support. I think building those things into transition whenever possible and as best as possible is hugely supportive. Also understanding that even if we feel things to what we feel like is fully and thoroughly, it is so non-linear in the sense that like, It can be days later, weeks later, years later from a transition from a loss. And you might be reminded of something or you might hit something might be said, whatever Mm -hmm. it is. And you can hit a pocket of that grief. And the best support that I would say is like, acknowledge it, honor it. Don't judge it. Like you said, don't take it personally. Don't, Mm -hmm. don't put shame on it. Mm -hmm. Don't project onto it. Just let it be there. Let it come through you because if it's still getting touched, that means that there's still more to feel. Mm-hmm. And that is something that I think we also get mm-hmm. to give ourselves permission around. When our feelings are touched, we deserve to feel them in yeah. ways that are, you know, as, as we always as say, like as much as possible and not harmful to ourselves or others, of course. Yeah. Um, and also the other thing that I was going to say is that I think what you said around grief being the spectrum, you know, part of the spectrum of emotions is that when we 
are able, I think a lot of people and people come to me and I've had clients say like, my life seems really great and I've got the thing and I've got the job and I make the money and I've got the partner and I've Mm -hmm. made a life that feels really beautiful for myself. I still don't feel like I have access to joy. Mm. What is that? Why do I not feel happy? Mm -hmm. Like Mm -hmm. I think I Mm -hmm. should feel Mm -hmm. or like I see other people potentially Mm -hmm. feeling. Mm -hmm. And I think that's a many layered answer. And Mm -hmm. for, you know, there's obviously we are living under massive amounts of systemic oppression and like influences that do inhibit a lot of the, I think, joy that life can bring. And also I think when we are not taught to fully process or honor grief, we are also not most likely not being taught to fully embody and experience any emotion, whether that's joy or sadness or grief or anger, which is a part of grief. If we're taught or told to suppress any emotion or taught or told to disconnect from any emotion, we are not going to have access to the other ones. So where I start with clients who are like, why can't I feel joy is we dive into grief. We dive into feeling and processing Mm -hmm. where that lives in our bodies, how that colors our emotional experience Mm -hmm. somatically and otherwise getting it out. And typically a pretty immediate response is resourcing with joy. Once we are able to learn how to feel grief, we are often very quickly, surprisingly able to also feel joy again. And that I think is like a key, like an unlock that I would just like to glitter sprinkle all over the world because I love it. We deserve that. All of us deserve that. And ancestrally, as we were talking about earlier, many, many cultures are are equipped with grieving rituals and grieving processes. When people die, the village yeah, comes together. Totally. There's the, you know, burning, there's the songs, there's the careening. I mean, for totally. my, absolutely. Like my ancestry is Celtic and they have an entire process of grieving together communally. And then sometimes also alone mm-hmm. when somebody's like, I've got to go alone into the woods and cry mm-hmm. for a week and wail and, beat the earth and like, let myself be supported. Mm. Those things don't exist in Western culture. People are afraid of death. Typically this is blanket statements. People are afraid of change. Mm -hmm. Many times we are taught to fear anger. We are taught to Mm -hmm. completely disconnect from the realities of like uh, of the actual things that can bring grief into our lives like run from the change run from the death run from like there's a lot of denial that goes on which is interesting because denial is a part of grieving that is interesting but we deny and we like block ourselves from the things that could cause grief like in a self-protection way and that actually stops us from feeling joy too yep yeah, well, self protection in general does. Yes, that. that's like I mean, the sh- that's I'm like saying. my You're body like... blocking. I'm like shielding my heart. When we shield mm-hmm. our heart, so if we're we don't want to feel love, grief, totally, we don't want to feel. Yeah, yep, we're blocking everything. The, I mean, this is this is a whole other thing, but like this is bringing up for me like when we experience heart pain, 
like mm-hmm. a mm-hmm. breakup or a loss of, of someone, I think one of the greatest signs of resiliency and humanity is that we can learn to love again. And I think that a lot of times though, we can be afraid to do that. We can be afraid to reopen our hearts because the potential of losing somebody might happen again. And I think, again, this goes back to like, it's not built into our society to process like there's the, I'm not, well, okay, I'm not going to use the word stupid, but I'm going to use the word stupid. That stupid saying that's like the best way to get over somebody is get under somebody else. That is mm-hmm. so, like when you break not up with somebody, <laughs> when when you break up with someone or whenever, whenever it would, when a relationship ends, whether it be a friendship or sure. partnership yeah. or romance or whatever, we owe it to ourselves to feel that loss. And if we are distracting ourselves from that loss by drinking, by sleeping with other people, by diving into work in a really intense way, that pain, that grief, it is going to show up at another time in another way. Yes. When there is suppression. Yes. Things have to come out. Which we've talked about before. Absolutely. Right? Like any emotion, this is now just on grief. And I, yeah, definitely agree. I actually talk a lot about this. Yeah. Anyway, mm. I have a lot of clients where I talk through this. Mm-hmm. I will also add the caveat of what you're saying that... I think that however one chooses to behave, act in grief, minus suppression is valid and useful. And I know a lot of times, and I'm saying this because I know for me, both of the two bigger breakups I've had in my life. Well, two of the bigger ones, I'll say. Um, I, yeah, I definitely like felt it again, grief being my, one of my favorite feelings, even at these points, um, I would say I definitely allowed myself to feel. And a lot of, especially the, the, the one for my ex-wife, um, the first big breakup I'm thinking of, Mm. uh, I do remember just like, being really open to like, I remember being at work and like, it had been like maybe months after and I would like burst into tears mm. randomly. And I just like let myself and it was really cool. So going kind of going back to like pockets happen and mm-hmm. we can't just be done with it. Yeah. Really whenever. But anyway, so that was cool. But what I'm saying is after these breakups, I did go through periods where like I drank and I was definitely like having fun with dating and women and sleeping around mm-hmm. and all the while also feeling my feelings. Yes. And it was kind of a, I don't know, it worked for me. You know, it wasn't maybe not like, I don't think I was overindulging in either of those things, but I definitely was doing both and I don't feel like I was suppressing my feelings either. So I guess all that to say, right, like everyone's process is going to be different. But I think the suppression, like if you're drinking to suppress, if you're like sleeping around to suppress, if you're getting into work to suppress, you know what I mean? But I think there is a flow where like, yeah, we have to live our lives and it's okay if like those things distract us for a time as long as we return to them. 
And I think this is where discernment comes in. Like if you Mm. know yourself well enough to know that you are not causing harm to yourself Mm -hmm. and you are not causing harm to others, kind of like we said earlier, and you want to engage in behaviors like that, like absolutely not, you no one needs to be celibate for five years after a breakup. That's not (laughs) what I'm saying. What I'm saying is I think it's a typical trigger reaction of I've lost somebody, therefore I need to like go out and just like distract myself from all of that. Totally. If we are truly authentically able to process our feelings in the midst of that, you can do whatever you want to yeah, do yeah, yeah. that feels good for you. I also think there is the fine line of like scoping, uh, scoping, coping skills or like coping mechanisms, um, turning harmful and turning, you know, especially Definitely. in times of grief, I think we can lean into things that feel good and that can often take us down other paths. So I think learning the difference between coping mechanisms and coping skills, and sometimes they intertwine. And again, this is like at all times, nothing is linear. So like sometimes, yeah, you're going to have times or days or weeks where you, you know, go into certain cycles and realize that that's not serving you anymore. Mm -hmm. So then you're going to change paths and change course and change how you feel things and change the behaviors that come along with that. So I think, Um, yeah, as long as you feel, and this is, I think in general for processing sadness, grief, things that are typically quote unquote harder to feel, as long as you feel like you are connected to yourself, as Mm -hmm. long as you feel like you have support and as long as you feel like you can trust yourself enough to Mm -hmm. check in Mm -hmm. when things are, feel like they're changing, which I think those three things are something in and of themselves are a whole skill set to build or like a whole thing to navigate of like, mm-hmm. how do we get the support that we need? How do we learn to trust ourselves? Yeah. And how are we able to check in authentically with our bodies and know what our feelings are feeling? And I say this word all the time, but like the interoception of, you know, I've got a, I've gone through this breakup or I've had this loss and I have migraines all of a sudden, or I have a stomach ache and like learning what those mean and how they're connected to the experience those are all things. Those are all a part of grieving, learning how our bodies are doing the processing for us um, and learning, yeah, what things feel fun and what things feel like they're serving us and what things feel like they're not doing those things anymore. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I know for myself, I have spun into self-destruction and I've had to sure. have people stop me and be like, hey, buddy, I love you. Pause. Mm-hmm. You need to take time and space to heal this is no longer serving you. Mm-hmm. And I've been so grateful for those people in my life. That's cool. And everyone is on a different journey. Of course. Yeah. Absolutely. I think for me, thinking about my behaviors post these situations, it really was a cool experience to feel like for the most part, doing these things mindfully um, as best I could, but grieving while like, sleeping around, being honest with the people, be, you know, mm-hmm. using, you know, being as safe as possible, safe sex practices, all that stuff was a part of it. But it was really cool to just, I think, especially after that, the, my ex-wife situation to kind of take back some things from that abusive experience mm-hmm. in my grief process of like sleeping with people. And she's really controlling of what I ate really hard on like mm. what I looked like physically we weren't having a lot of sex at the end of our relief. Like there's a lot of things that were like, I gave away power to. And so to claim that back through Mm. 
not getting in another relationship. I was not looking for that, but like it was a really cool process, A, to like kind of take those things back for myself in that way while mm -hmm. being honest with the people I was sleeping with, with, with where I was at and what I was looking for. Yeah. Um, doing it safely as possible. And then I also noticed as time went on and I was in this experience that like for a long time after that, I was not interested, like I, I was not interested in a relationship both mentally and and in an embodied like I'm I'm not available for that mm -hmm, like I'm mm -hmm. grieving I'm healing from abuse and trauma like not happening yeah still having sex it felt good it felt mindful mm -hmm. I got to a point though where I you know I ended up sleeping with this one girl a few like we had hung out went on dates slept together a few times and I started having feelings for her mm -hmm. and it was a really cool experience just to kind of that like interoception mm -hmm. it felt like that it just felt like oh like my body is ready to like have crushes again mm. that is so interesting it was like kind of the sneak peek into like I think there's other ways to do this but for me it was just a cool experience to be like definitely wasn't ready and now I'm oh like I wouldn't be having a crush if my heart wasn't ready to have a crush right, like I'm not trying to, to have a crush yeah so I don't know. It was a really cool experience for me to process in, and like look back on and process in that way. Absolutely. Could it have been healthier? Probably. Do I regret well, it? No. We always do. I never mind. <laughs> Cutting that out. I think this is a really good opportunity to bring in the five stages of grief because like yeah. you said, like you knew that your body was ready, which is a part of the acceptance of what comes. And then I think like mm. what we were just talking about, the like secret sixth or like hidden sixth mm. step. So here we are in the middle of the episode, finally defining the five stages of Which, grief. <laughs> I do want to caveat though. I don't, I think this is the right time, A, because mm -hmm. it always is. But yes. B, also like the five stages of grief, we agree with, mm -hmm. we're not against, mm -hmm. that's why we're talking about them. Mm -hmm. And we also know that the five stages originally came out, I believe, as like one, two, like very linear. In steps. In steps. Correct. This is what happens. And now we know yes. that the five stages are everywhere and everything all at once. All at once Absolutely. Like and this, these were defined by Elizabeth Kubler-Ross in the 60s. So obviously so much about our understanding of human emotion and psychology and processing has changed since then evolved, has evolved yeah. absolutely so these are these are like the base steps of grief which i think are important to recognize it's kind of like the the framework is in, is important to understand so that we can then expand our understanding that like these can all happen at the same time they can all happen at different times they can all be very swirly they can happen years apart like this experience is going to be very individual for people. And I think they're all important to recognize so that when we feel them come up in ourselves, kind of like you were mm -hmm, saying, mm -hmm. like we can recognize them without judging them or without placing shame on them because they are just a part of the experience, right? Okay, so Elizabeth Kubler-Ross's definition or the outline of the five stages of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. And there is a newer one that is kind of the next sixth step, which is finding meaning. And I think that can sound very trite. So I think we can break this down a little bit. Is that from her too, though? From her? That's not from her. No, that's like, like an addition. Someone that's else an addition. is adding yes. on. Okay. Um, which I think people 
can put a lot of emphasis on like, what did it mean? Which I also think can be very invalidating for the pain that people feel, you know, like, oh, well, it happened for a reason. Mm. That kind of thing, yeah, don't which say I, that which I think, ever. yeah, I think can be especially in the face of loss. Oh, well, it's a good thing. Oh, well, it happened for a reason. Oh, you'll understand one day or like any of those Phrases. If you want to say those things to yourself and they're helping, that's one thing. If you want but to write them in your journal. saying that to someone who's grieving, don't. Please do not. Just don't. I think in, in the wake of a loss or in the wake of a transition or in the wake of a breakup or anything that could be potentially inflicting grief upon someone, invalidating them is one of the most harmful things we can do. And I and think I, we don't mean to do that either, absolutely. which is the hard thing because we don't sometimes know. Which I was about to say a few things that like I have experienced and, mm. and even said to people mm. without realizing how invalidating they were. One of them is everything happens for a reason. That is so intrinsically harmful. Don't say that. Just even know. if you believe it, like I have... I feel like I have a lot of contradictory opinions in myself because I'm like, I do believe that there is purpose yep. no, I'm with behind you. Yep. things and also the very real world experience that we're all having is full of pain and it's full of shit. And like, there might not be a reason for some of this shit that's happening. Like, especially the things that feel so tragic, young people passing like losing yeah. the love of your life, whatever it, Lots it might of terrible be. Things. So many horrible things happen. Just don't say everything happens for a reason, <laughs> please. Yep. Be in, be an honorance of who, of who is experiencing that. Another thing that might feel invalidating, it's, it's okay. That's one of my least favorite things for people to or say. Or it's going to be it's okay. It's going to be okay. It might not be for them. And what it might well, take it definitely for them isn't probably right now. Absolutely. So why are we talking that, about the future? I said that to my kid this morning. I got a cut on my hand and they were like, it's okay. And I was like, actually, I would appreciate if you didn't tell me that it was okay. Cause it doesn't feel okay right now. And they were like, oh, okay. Like, how can I support you? That's my six-year-old y'all. If my six-year-old can do that, we can as adults change the way, reframe the way that we support people and validate their and experiences. And I think a lot of times... We can keep going on your list, mm -hmm. but I do think a lot of times why we say the invalidating things have said or do say these things is because of our own discomfort with, mm -hmm. with grief yes. or these uncomfortable emotions. Which is like why equipping ourselves with the skills to process grief is intrinsically going to give us greater capacity to connect with others in actual empathy, in actual support. Because when we're not disconnected from our own experience, when we are connected to our own experience, we can in a safer and more supportive way connect with other people. So That's learning to process grief, which again, I don't think that as a society, I certainly wasn't in my own childhood and upbringing equipped with like healthy grief mm -hmm. processing skills. If this is something that you're like listening to this and you're like, well, how the fuck do I even start doing that? There how do you are, start grieving? Is that what the question is? How do you, how do you start grieving? Yeah. Or, or like, how do I learn how to do this? Oh, mm. or if you're like, oh, actually I'm realizing that I've invalidated people in grief. Like, how do I learn? 
there's so many incredible books. I think the one that's coming to mind right now is called The Grief Recovery Handbook. And I mm. do not remember the author, but it is kind of like a workbook on learning to process grief. So that's a, that's a really supportive resource that has been for me. We'll find the author. We'll put it on the resources on our website. Um, and also people like Aaron and I, like part of my job is literally teaching people how to mm -hmm. grieve safely, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. how to outside of our work together. Yep equip them with the skills that they need for whatever might happen in their life so that when they hit circumstances that cause grief, when they hit things that shake the bedrock of what they feel like their lives should have been or what they thought their lives would have been, they feel A, that they have support that they can go back to if they need it and also have a framework to follow, have steps to take and have skills to rely on and implement when things feel like they're falling apart. Yeah. I mean, I'm working with someone on grief right now yeah. in my practice. And what's interesting is that I do think is worth saying, because this person I'm thinking of, I think has a hard time with it, which of course it's, these are hard feelings. Um, but I think something to remember in the grief process and maybe I think there's all the reasons we've already said of why it's hard to grieve. This one mm -hmm. I'm adding on, I guess, is that sometimes the grief feels so big. Mm -hmm. The feelings behind the grief feel so big that we think we'll never come out the other side. Oh, yes. And I think that I've seen that. I work with people with that feeling. I think I definitely have experienced it. Um, before grief became my favorite feeling, it hasn't always been my favorite feeling. Mm -hmm. It feels like it could swallow you whole. Yes. And so it feels like a monster you don't want to touch. Mm -hmm. And how could it ever be okay? And I think the hard answer of truth is that you can't know you're going to make it onto the other side until you do. And at least in an embodied way, you can logically know that you mm -hmm. and I know that I could tell it to you. You're hearing me say that you will logically, but our, our bodies and our hearts our emotional minds and our logical minds, they're not actually the same. Mm -hmm. They can be connected at points when we get there, but you can't know until you know, A. B, I think there are other experiences like you were talking about that you've probably had where you had a painful thing happen, you felt a painful thing and you made it out to the other side. Maybe it wasn't this big grief thing. But it reminded, when you were talking about that actually earlier, you know, how the joy that comes after the grief, that part, I was thinking about biochemically mm -hmm. the act of crying. <laughs> because when we cry, mm -hmm. guess what happens? Endorphins. Endorphins are released. <laughs> Wait, and, do and dopamine. These and are, dopamine. These are quote unquote happy. And serotonin. The positive, the relaxing, happy chemicals. Yes. calming chemicals that are released in our body that gives us those sensations and emotions. Yes. It you have little evidences. We have little evidences from our bodies, from other experiences we've had where we felt a hard thing mm -hmm. and then the positive, calming, reassuring thing came after. Mm -hmm. Whether it was a person or biochemically or whatever, if you've ever cried, you've had this experience. Yes. At least on a microscopic level. It won't swallow you permanently. These are all elements of a class that I have coming up about the the whole theme is like 
creating greater access to jo- to joy through processing grief safely. Mm. Huge elements of that are the self-trust piece of like, if I hit this wall of grief and if I let myself go into it, will I come out on the other side? Because I think that can feel absolutely overwhelming and absolutely terrifying. So if that feels too big, a great place to start, like you just said, is in small moments of, mm-hmm. I stubbed my toe. I'm going to let myself cry about that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That will help build the self-trust mm-hmm. that it might take to build up over time for you to actually go in safely in an embodied way into that wave of grief that has been waiting for you to access it. Other parts of this are knowing that when we are able to access grief, we are able to then start learning how to cultivate joy in authentic ways. And again, this might start at a very small level. And I think also a part of it is like rewiring times that you were not allowed to feel grief in, in not traumatic ways, Mm -hmm, but like, mm -hmm. let's say you had to move when you were a kid and you were told it's all going to be okay. It's all going to be okay. Or this is better. This is your new home. It's be happy. Now you can literally go back in like like a timeline healing process and go back and rewire that Mm -hmm. and say to yourself, to your, the child version of you in that time, I, I know that you're feeling sad about this move. You weren't allowed to grieve. You're allowed to grieve that now. That is like a process. Again, I think in a safe container is really beautiful to do because Mm -hmm. if we are able to do that, we are able to rewire how our actual bodies feel safe to process grief. Not like overly traumatic. That is something that takes time. Yeah. But in ways that like, oh, I was blamed for cheating in class and it wasn't actually my fault. And I felt sad about that, but I wasn't allowed to feel sad about that. Whatever it is, being able to go back and let ourselves feel that grief for our inner child is a part of building current capacity to process other things like that. that And I do also think it, it does that and it does process that. And that, that has been in, in you always. Yeah. 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 And that's like the double... thing is on the yeah. other side of that. Like I know for myself, when I've done that rewiring work, I come out with just this whole new understanding of like, oh, that was harmful. Oh, I deserved to feel that pain. Oh, when this stuff is happening daily in my life now, I, I can also recognize the harm. I can also recognize that I deserve to feel that pain. And then I let myself because I'm my own adult parent now. I get to let myself feel those feelings and that is exciting. Well, and I, speaking of feeling feelings, as yeah. we've been talking about this whole time, but I do want to just bring in an aspect that I'm curious if maybe you've ever come across, whether mm. personally or professionally, where I wonder about, I don't know, but I wonder about, I don't know how to put it. I wonder about our, sometimes our, rejection pushing down of Mm. avoiding grief or similar feelings maybe even it's just hard uncomfortable emotions as a part of an unconscious process of a low a lack of capacity or a low baseline low capacity 
or comfort with joy. Because mm -hmm. if, if what you're saying is true, that if we feel our grief, we'll have bet more joy. We'll have a better, I'm going to say a better life, you know, quote unquote, better life, a, a more joyful, embodied peaceful, expansion, happy existence. experience afterwards. Yes. yes. So if all of that's true, which I do th agree with, I'm yes, that is true. I think it, is it is potentially true. I don't think it's not <laughs> true. This isn't a false thing we're talking about. How, because I also feel like I've worked with people that they're not only worried about getting eaten by grief. Right. They're also worried about the ability to have a better experience mm -hmm. after grief and the discomfort of that. Yeah, absolutely. I think... It's like a hand in hand thing. This, so you're, we're talking about how much, but you know, we are saying, you know, like you can get more joyful, you can get more free. And that is a, I think most people would logically agree. That's a positive. Probably mm -hmm. most people would logically say people want that. Ding, ding, ding. But some people don't want that. Here's the deal. Fear of, fear of failure and fear of success often go hand in hand. This Indeed. is a nervous system dysregulation problem. If it has never feel safe for you to feel sad or angry, it has also probably never felt safe for you to feel fully joyful. You were probably said you're too much. That's too mm. big. Calm down. If either of those sides of the spectrum were suppressed or you were taught to repress them in childhood, this is especially between zero and seven, like little kids when they get really excited and really happy. I'm also thinking though, like of yes, and like that and like, there's a specific example I have in my head where it's like, well, if I get over this person and grieve this person, I'm going to have to love again. And that's yes. too risky. That's, it's like but a bull That's, that's it's like the a thing hand. is like, when we are told whatever it is that our feelings are too big, our love is too much, our joy is too loud, our anger is too whatever expressed. Mm-hmm. We will reach places in adulthood that feel terrifying for us to love, for us to have joy, for us to, this is, this is where the capacity comes in because mm -hmm, I do think this is, this is something that will take time to build the capacity for grief is to also learn to build the capacity for joy. And if either or of those two things or like, love, yeah, yeah. whatever, if either of those things feel too big, then don't start there. You've got to start smaller. But I think yeah. absolutely, the yes, the, the fear of being able to love because maybe you have the fear of losing somebody again, the fear of, oh gosh, this has like been so personal in my life of like, I'm too happy right now. This can't be real. That fear is very real also of like, well, now I have something to lose. Mm -hmm. Now things don't feel safe anymore because our bodies don't know that it's safe. When we feel actual genuine care and support for the first time, this is something that I hope everyone gets to experience. And also it can feel so fucking terrifying. Which is why knowing how and therefore also, I think hand in hand, getting more comfortable with grief yep. 
that's the protective factor. Mm -hmm. That's the buffer. That's like the padding we land on when we fall because we will Mm -hmm. from happiness or joy or enraptured love. Mm. Yes. And I think that's what I've learned in my life. And I've really, I really feel like I've come so far to where I can now be in this secure relationship that I'm in with my partner and I've reached overall security. I'm not saying there's never, it's never, it's all perfect all the time, but overall security. And it's not because I don't know how to explain it. I just feel like I'm there because now I'm not scared of pain. Mm. I'm not scared of losing this person, which was a lot of what my insecure, it's insecure attachment self was Mm -hmm. like in previous relationships. I'm going to be abandoned. I'm going to lose this person. This is going to go away. That fear isn't there. And it's not because there's not a risk of her leaving or abandoning me. It's because I don't care. It's not that I don't care. It's because I'm okay with feeling that pain. And I know I can get through it because I have grieved. Yes. And I know I'll be okay. And actually, I know that for me, I can't speak for this isn't a universal truth. But for me, what I know also in that process is that it means there's actually something better coming. When I have a loss, and this is just, again, my experience, and I'm mostly talking about in my romantic life, but when I have a loss, it's actually multiplied into better things. Mm -hmm. Not only just is it better, it's a multiple better situation. Well, for me. Yes. It's been a really big lesson in trusting myself in the universe to grieve. I think we're calling in the interconnectedness between the self-trust to take risks. This can be any kind of risk, a risk to love, a risk to leave. Like I know for myself, Mm. I was separated from my husband when my child was very young, three, because I trusted myself enough to know Mm -hmm. that a life that I could create on the other side of that marriage would be better for me and my child, better for all of us. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it so is we're almost three years later and I am so fulfilled but I had to trust myself enough to take that risk I had to trust that I would be able to grieve that marriage that relationship of 10 years Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. breaking up a family Mm -hmm. I had to trust that I would be able to move through those things and I had to trust that there was joy And there was love and there was fulfillment and there was support on the other side. And there absolutely has been bigger than my wildest dreams. But you have to be willing to risk feeling feeling, and risk loss. And that is, again, something that not many of us are taught to do. This is also no. I, think, I just learned it. Yeah, <laughs> I wasn't like, taught it. This is also something that I think, like having a safe processor and sure. support in of learning course. to do this is so helpful because also this applies. I mean, y'all, this is so widespread, but this ap- applies to making different decisions than we maybe were told we should make, like choosing a different career path, becoming an entrepreneur, choosing to have kids, choosing not to have kids, choosing to get married, choosing not to get married, being queer. Embracing our authentic selves is a risk. Most of the time, we are going to lose people. We are going to disappoint people. We are going to have grief in the choices that we make, even if they are for the best of us. 
And this is where it all comes back together of like these building blocks of trusting ourselves, having the skills to process these things fully and in safe ways, being able to get, and this is the privilege, the access to support for those things. And then having the skills to like rebuild on the other side. Man, man. Yeah. <laughs> we gotta be able to feel that pain. Yes, we do. That is a hard truth and a hard pill to swallow of all of this. Cause even if you don't make choices, even if you don't take risks, guess what? It's going to happen. We still Everyone is going to lose pain things. and grief and loss. Yes. That is like a reality of living and the more compassion we can have for that. Oh yeah. The more understanding that, as you said earlier, the more we can equip ourselves to just accepting that discomfort and that dis that pain and that grief is going to happen, the more capable we can become to handle those things. Yeah. It also is a conscious process. We do have to make a choice as individuals to learn how to trust ourselves enough to feel these things enough to have greater capacity. Yeah. Those are choices and it's, it's hard work mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. it is also worthy work. And I think, I mean, we're going to tie this up. I think like, I believe, I, don't be done. I know, <laughs> I believe that learning to genuinely, safely, and thoroughly process grief is intergenerational healing in action. And I'm not the first person to say this. Rosemary Menachem talks about this. I've talked about his books many times. My grandmother's hands being one of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, it's, on our, it's on our website. It's on our website. But when we are able to, pro I, like, I just truly believe that when we allow ourselves, when we equip ourselves with the, with the skills and the ability to safely and thoroughly process grief, we are able to move mountains of intergenerational trauma and personal trauma and familial trauma. Like I just, I truly believe that when we let those things move through our bodies, out of our bodies, we are healing seven generations before and seven generations ahead. I really believe that, that learning to safely and thoroughly process grief is like one of the greatest things we can do for intergenerational healing. Yeah, I agree. And I would say that all healing we do or within ourselves also is healing the world. It, the ripple effect is so profound. In this life. So profound, yes. Past, future, and present. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. that was, that's been a big reoccurring lesson for me. Is there anything else you want to say? So much? I don't know. I mean, this has just been... I love this topic. And I truly, I mean, just for anyone listening who is going through a time that feels hard and like you feel like you're moving through grief or you're hitting pockets of grief, first of all, I just want to validate that. Like your grief is real. Your pain is real. You deserve to feel those feelings. You deserve support in feeling those feelings. You deserve validation in what you're moving through. And of course, you know, I hope that you're able to find the support that you deserve. Absolutely. And I hope that this is resourceful. And I would say that 
also the pain won't last. It doesn't last forever as long as it's felt. Mm-hmm. And everything passes as we process and mm-hmm. allow those things to be and have the support to do it. Ooh, really quick nugget at the end, because we said this before we recorded, but time does not heal all wounds. Oh, yeah. Healing wounds is a choice and healing wounds is a process that does take time, but just letting time pass isn't going to take the pain away. True. We've got to learn how to do that for ourselves. That is part of healing is learning to process wounding that happens to us, to our nervous systems, to our bodies, to our psyches, to our experiences. And if we do that work, it doesn't last forever. Absolutely. It doesn't. Nothing does. Nothing does. The only thing that is certain is change and is transition. Again, hashtag grief. Hashtag grief. (laughs) Um, So yeah, this has been the second to final episode of season one of being in practice. (gasps) I can't believe it. Next week. I'm so excited. We are y'all. We are extrapolating here. We are going macro. We are going to have an episode just on being. (gasps) Wrapping it up. Because this is being in practice, we just felt like we had to. We're going to leave it broad for now. We promise we will get more specific in the episode, but... We haven't even recorded it yet, so we don't know what's going to (laughs) come. Final episode is being. So we are so glad you've been here for this and sending so much support and love to all of of us who are humans, humaning, feeling grief, processing pain, learning to access joy. Yeah. Thank you for being here. Thanks for being in practice. If you want to connect, we have a website. It's up and running. We have an Instagram. So at being in practice, at being in practice podcast, www.beinginpractice.com. Is it being in practice podcast.com? Do I not know our website? This is a funny moment. Let me just make sure. We believe. Well, oh, no. being in practice podcast.com. Okay, yes. great. So find us there. Find us there. We'll see y'all next week for the final episode of season one of Being in Practice. Thanks for joining. Bye. Bye.